Welcome to Marine Log Podcasts. This is John Snyder, publisher and editor of Marine Log. This year, naval architectural and marine engineering firm Elliott Bay Design Group will mark its 30th anniversary. Over that 30-year span, the Seattle-based employee-owned company has built a solid portfolio of commercial vessel designs. In particular, it enjoys an envious reputation among ferry owners and operators for striking a balance between innovative and practical solutions. The firm's stature continues to grow with work on new classes of ferries for the iconic Staten Island Ferry, North Carolina, and the state of Texas, among others, as well as feasibility studies for converting Washington State Ferry's Jumbo Mark II class to all-electric propulsion and the use of fuel cells and passenger vessels on San Francisco Bay. Marine Log recently sat down with John Waterhouse, the firm's chief concept engineer, to discuss the company's history, the challenges for naval architects today, and some of the current technology trends in the maritime space. John, remind our listeners what Elliott Bay Design Group does. Uh, Elliott Bay Design Group is a commercial naval architecture firm. And what that means is that we serve customers who operate commercial vessels. We do very little in the military sector. We do very little in the uh, pleasure boat or yacht sector. So our focus is on customers that operate tugs, barges, ferries, uh, dinner boats, fishing vessels, those sort of commercial operators. And the range of services that we provide go everything from first phase or initial feasibility studies on down to uh, very detailed engineering and assistance of uh, owners in shipyard projects. Now this year uh, Elliott Bay Design Group is celebrating its 30th anniversary, but the roots of the company go much further back. Tell us a little bit about the company's heritage. Well, Elliott Bay Design Group is a follow-on firm to a company called Nickham and Spalding Associates. And Nickham and Spalding's roots go back to the W.C. Nickham and Sons firm, which was established in the uh, 1920s. And they later joined up with a firm uh, operated by Philip F. Spalding. They were uh, strong competitors in the Seattle area through the 1950s and 1960s. And then in early uh, 1972, uh, they decided to merge their rooms together and create Nickham and Spalding. So I was an employee of Nickham and Spalding. I started there in 1980, and when they were looking to close their doors in 1987, I saw an opportunity to uh, pull together some partners and to look at buying the assets of the company. And from that, we created Elliott Bay Design Group. Now, Elliott Bay is an employee-owned company. Is that correct? Yes. Originally, there were three partners, and then we ended up selling the company to a actually a publicly traded firm, uh, the American Commercial Barge Lines out of Jeffersonville, Indiana. And then after a couple of years, American Commercial Lines got taken private in a buyout, ended up with a venture capital firm, and the venture capital firm decided to spin us off, and we bought ourselves back. And when we bought ourselves back, we opened up the ownership of the company to a broad base of our employees. So uh, we've got over 20 shareholders in the company right now. And we think that gives us several advantages. First of all, it's great for our employees to feel that they've got a piece of the action, that they are uh, truly invested in the company. 
I think it helps our retention rates because people are excited about seeing the company grow and being a part of that. And finally, I think it's good because it allows us to share the business information uh, with our employees. We practice uh, what is called open book management and try and share uh, information on profit and loss, the kinds of contracts we have going on with customers. And we think that we've got a bunch of really smart people, so why not let them understand what is the economic driver of the business so they can help us be successful. Now, since you started back with uh, Nickham and Spalding in 1980, certainly the naval architecture and marine engineering industry has changed. What tools do you have available to you now that you didn't, and how has that transformed the way you design vessels? It's really pretty remarkable when you look over that period of time. When I started out with the company, we had hand calculators and drafting boards. Um, the company communicated long distance using telex messages. Nowadays we have 3D computer modeling, we have obviously smartphones, we have uh, software tools that we can use in our office for doing things that were only dreamed of when we started out 30 years ago. One of my early career jobs was I worked for the U.S. Navy at the David Taylor uh, Model Basin in Washington, D.C. And I was doing programming on a mainframe computer using uh, Hollerith punch cards. And when I look at what we can do nowadays with a computer that sits on your desktop, is just absolutely remarkable. One of the things we did when we started Elliott Beta Design Group was one of my partners, Ken Lane, was an early user of computer-based lofting tools. And when Ken came on board, he had uh, an IBM computer that was all of $10,000, which was a lot of money 30 years ago. But it was considered the latest and greatest of technology then. And I just look at the uh, speed and power of what we can do now. And I think the critical point is that our customers are expecting us to design with smaller and smaller margins nowadays. It used to be that you could, you know, doing hand calculations, you would give a uh, significant margin to a design to account for the unknowns. And that was considered acceptable and good engineering practice. But as we're looking to make ships more economical to build, more economical to operate, we're trying to shave out those allowances, those contingencies, to try and engineer more tightly and more exactly. And that's where computer tools such as computational fluid dynamics, finite element analysis, 3D modeling for weight estimating and um, uh, ship motions all allow us to have a better ability to calculate the characteristics of the ship and be able to predict its performance. Now, you touched on it a little bit. What kind of pressures are you facing as a naval architect and a marine engineer these days that, that perhaps, given the fact that you've taken taken on additional uh, tools in-house to, to design a vessel? Well, I often tell the story of a boatyard I was in in Maine once that had a sign on the wall that said, Price, Quality, Schedule, Pick Two. And that philosophy is still there for a lot of our customers. They, they, they would like to have it all. Our challenge of na as naval architects, marine engineers, is to try and find the best balance 
of competing factors to make a design go forward. The tools we have nowadays allow us to uh, do some more analysis, do quicker iterations on things. Hopefully they will allow us to get to a solution or an answer in less time and less money. Customers we serve, as I said, are in the commercial marine business. They're looking at their bottom line, they're looking at their capital expenses and their operating expenses. And how can we help them as an engineering firm reduce their capex, improve their operating expenses, and uh, allow them to compete successfully in what I think is an increasingly competitive world? Elliott Bay Design Group has built a reputation for high-quality vessels, particularly in the ferry uh, market. Uh, can you t talk about some of your uh, recent projects? Uh, there's been a lot of activity going on because ferries are long-lived capital assets. And we're seeing a renewal cycle now among ferry operators across the United States looking to replace vessels that were built uh, 40, 50, 60 years ago. So one of the prominent projects we've been involved in has been with Staten Island ferries. They're orange ferries that cross from Manhattan to Staten Island in New York are a true icon of the United States. Uh, we help them look at their existing fleet, analyze what is working well for them with those vessels and what could be improved. And out of that, we've come up with a design, and there are three new vessels to that design under construction right now. Beyond Staten Island Ferries, uh, we've been working with the Alaska Marine Highway System. They probably have the longest route network of any ferry operator, I would say, certainly in the United States, if not within the world. If you look at what they cover between southeast Alaska and out the Aleutian chain, it's equivalent to operating ferries from Mobile, Alabama to Seattle, Washington. So it covers a long distance, and we've helped them design a new class of shuttle ferries that will be serving the route between Juneau and Upland Canal. That's a route where a lot of attention was being paid on fuel efficiency, uh, ride comfort in the wintertime. Uh, it can be a very rough patch of water. And, of course, uh, being economical to operate ways on reducing crewing costs, maintenance costs. And finally, we've been blessed to be working with North Carolina Ferries recently. We've actually had two different projects with them. One was for a 40-car ferry designed to operate in very, very shallow water conditions. The outer banks of North Carolina are uh, barrier islands with a lot of sand, and every time a storm comes through, that sand moves around. So they wanted to have a ferry that could draw no more than four and a half feet of water, but be able to carry 40 uh, standard automobiles on uh, ferry route linking uh, Ocracoke Island and Hatteras Island. They're also looking at a new high-speed passenger-only ferry linking those two island communities to get more visitors down to uh, an area called Silver Lake on Ocracoke Island. So we had the opportunity to design a 128-passenger high-speed uh, catamaran that is under construction in North Carolina right now. So that's kind of the, the range of things we're doing from large ferries like Staten Island that carry 4,500 passengers to small high-speed ferries that carry 128 passengers. It's been a fascinating to look at the diversity of different vessel types in the ferry market and help customers try and identify what what's right for them.
Now, another thing on owners' and operators' minds these days is environmental regulatory compliance. It's driving uh, transformation and investment across the industry. Um, emission control areas in the U.S. and abroad uh, have owners and operators looking at burning alternative fuels in their ships. What's uh, Elliott Bay uh, Design Group been doing in, in this area? Elliott Bay has been working in the alternative fuels market for quite a long while now, actually. I think the first project that I recall was in 1993 when we were looking at the use of compressed natural gas for a ferry operator here in Puget Sound, uh, Pierce County Ferries. They were trying to look at where there are alternatives to the conventional uh, geared diesel propulsion systems. At that time, obviously, the economics of gas and diesel fuel prices were very different from what we're seeing today. As people are looking at the environmental question as people are looking at the operating economics. Uh, we've been working with a variety of different customers to examine whether alternative fuels make sense for them. Uh, we helped BC Ferries with a quick study on verifying some numbers for their new LNG powered ferries that they're operating on the minor routes up in British Columbia. Uh, we looked at, for Staten Island ferries, we looked at the feasibility of using LNG for that ferry um, on that route. We've been doing some work with Sandia National Laboratories looking at hydrogen uh, fuel cells for the marine industry. Specifically, we did a project looking at a high-speed ferry on San Francisco Bay, and phase two of that study has been looking at uh, applicability of hydrogen fuel cells to other kinds of passenger vessels, uh, ranging from a dinner boat to a car ferry. So I think that the challenge is that LNG, in my opinion, is a niche technology that's got to find the right route, the right operator, and the right availability of fuel supply. What we've seen for the past 50 to 80 years is the standard diesel engine has been a very reliable, very robust piece of technology that has worked well for operators uh, around the globe. As we start shifting to other technologies to reduce emissions and things, it becomes very route and operational dependent. So I keep telling customers that there is no one solution. Uh, you've got to look carefully at what makes sense for them. Now you said, speaking of other technologies, and what comes to mind also is hybrid and all-electric uh, vessels. Uh, and, and certainly they're in recent uh, months, uh, they've been gaining traction in the U.S. Can you talk a little bit about your work in that area? Yeah, well, uh, electric vessels have been part of Elliott Bay's history for a long, long time, going back to W.C. Nickman Sons and Philip F. Spaulding with the Washington State ferries here. Uh, Washington State has run uh, diesel-electric ferries for many, many years, uh, beginning in the 1950s when they were able to get uh, surplus propulsion units from the United States Navy that were DC propulsion motors and DC uh, generator sets. That's evolved over the years into more modern technologies, but Elliott Bay has been involved in those over the years. And in fact, right now we're working with Washington State looking at the feasibility of taking their largest class of ferries, which is the Jumbo Mark II class, and actually making those an all-battery powered 
ferry operation. So we've done an initial stage feasibility study for them. Uh, we have a governor here in the state of Washington, Governor Jay Inslee, who has made a commitment to making Washington State a leader in environmental technologies, and he's looking at the state ferry system being an exemplar of that for marine operators. Uh, we've also been in our projects with the Texas Department of Transportation. Uh, we designed for them originally a class of uh, diesel-powered ferries, and um, they came back to us and said for the next generation they wanted to look at those as being diesel-electric with the possibility of making those battery-ready at some point in the future. So we've got a lot of customers that are looking at the rapidly changing battery technologies, the notion of energy storage and how might that play into vessel operations whether it's to uh, power bow thrusters, a great, uh, in my mind, a great application for batteries because it's a high power output but very intermittent service um, that you could use the stored energy of a battery to provide that rather than have a, you know, a diesel engine. We also have customers looking at how to balance out the operational demands between high-speed underway transportation and spending time at a dock at a very uh, low load, just uh, dealing with hotel services on board. So I think that energy storage, hybrid technologies are very much a part of the future in the marine industry, not just in ferries, but as we've been looking at some of the offshore industry, where you have dynamically positioned vessels that need to have uh, varying energy outputs to different propulsion units, uh, dealing with different uh, loads on board those uh, OSVs. I think, again, battery hybrid design will be playing a role in that. John, one of the things we're seeing today also being explored is autonomous ships and remotely operated vessels. Uh, what do you see in, in that market? Well, John, that's a, an area that I've been following with some interest. Uh, part of me is highly skeptical because we're dealing in a uh, we're dealing in the marine industry and let's face it the waterfront the oceans that's hard on equipment and people I know that they're developing driverless cars on the roadways they have been working on obviously on uh, unmanned vehicles for aviation I see it coming but I'm cautious in wanting to make sure that it's been well thought out because after all in the marine industry uh, our number one priority is safety. We have experience with new technologies causing problems and I know in my discussions with uh, the US Coast Guard and other regulatory agencies they are interested in and want to be open-minded but they are also very mindful of their responsibilities to the public for safety of the waterways and safety of the environment. I think it's going to be an interesting area and I think it'll start with probably some uh, niche technologies. I've been looking at the concept of uh, tugboats for uh, ship docking where you'd have a master tug and a slave tug and the slave tug would be an unmanned but not necessarily autonomous vessel. I know uh, Robert Allen is looking at the notion of unmanned fireboats. I think for especially in dealing in hazardous environments, that's an obvious choice to begin looking at what can we do there. Uh, we've seen some great strides in the oceanographic industry where they have autonomous vehicles doing 
uh, long-range voyages for ocean sampling. How will that play out in other applications? I think I'll be very curious and excited to see. But I think that as far as our area of ferry boats, I'd like to think that passengers would just be a little more comfortable with knowing there's someone up in the wheelhouse looking out the window and uh, hopefully paying attention to what's going on. So uh, I think there will be a, it'll be a while before we'll see that in the passenger vessels. What do you see for the future of Elliott Bay? Well, I think the future for Elliott Bay is, is bright. We're in a challenging times nationally. Uh, we see the offshore oil industry is struggling. We've gone through a build cycle of uh, barges, replacing the single skin barges with double skin barges. I think that is going to be tapering off. We have customers that are worried about the high cost of capital construction in the United States, and that does pose a challenge. I know, for example, the Alaska Marine Highway System is looking at their fleet of vessels and really questioning where is the money going to come from to replace uh, ferry boats that cost uh, in excess of $100 million apiece. That's going to be challenging for them to uh, find the funding for that. I think some things that we're looking at that are, are interesting and exciting our younger engineers are things like people will be looking at what are the niche technologies that make sense for their operations. Whether it's azimuthing drives, battery energy storage, alternative fuels. We've done a uh, actually a large cable ferry as an alternative. People don't tend to think of cable ferries as a technology, but they are. Um, and they can make a lot of sense in certain applications. So I think that that mix is going to be part of the challenge going forward as people try to reduce emissions, control costs, deal with training people on new technologies. I think one of the challenges of things like the hydrogen or the liquefied natural gas is you're dealing with a whole education of mariners on those issues. We've had folks operating the ocean-going LNG transportation ships for many years with a great safety record. But how does that translate to ports and harbors and smaller craft? I think that's an area where the equipment providers, the regulators, and the engineers need to work together on appropriate safety systems and creative approaches to make it right-sized for uh, these cut these uh, different industrial customers. And then finally another technology that I think we're is going to happen, I can't say when it will, is I think the marine industry is going to see the use of composites more and more, just as the aircraft industry has gone that way. I'd like to think that we can work with the regulators to find a solution that will allow us to build passenger vessels and commercial vessels out of composites that will still comply with regulations. Because if we can do that, we can save weight. If you can save weight, you can save fuel, you can save energy. It's really a, a smart direction, I think, for the industry to be looking into. Um, and as he said, the aviation industry has clearly seen their advantages to composite construction. So that's some of the roster of technologies and trends that we're looking at. Well, great, John. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. My great pleasure. Thank you, John.